The Truth News Network. Fake news, circular logic, disinformation, outright lies. What do you do when the truth goes underground? Well, here, let me get that door for you. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, a production of Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. We are awfully glad anytime our congressman, 4th Louisiana Congressional District Congressman, Mike Johnson, joins us, especially right now. Mr. Johnson finds himself in the bullseye of a bunch of this insanity that we're hearing about every day going on already in the 118th Congress. Good morning, Congressman. Hey, great to be with you, Dan, as always. Well, you sound a little stressed when you called in. Have you got a few things going on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe not stressed, but um, exhausted. We've had quite a couple of weeks in the first, uh, the beginning of the new Congress. uh, It doesn't look to be uh, lightening up anytime soon. Well, listen, I'm going to honor your time. I know how busy you are, so let's just get right to it. I got some questions and any of them you feel you don't want to answer, don't answer. Starting with... I'll just plead the fifth. Plead the, the fifth. fifth, yeah. <laughs> okay. How okay. how much and what did Kevin McCarthy give up to lock up the Speaker's job? Um, well, you know, it was a long process. And, and a lot of people have asked me about this. And let me give you a little little inside baseball on, on, on what happened. You know, okay. um, a lot of people say, why the struggle? Was it worth it? Um, why was there resistance to Kevin in the first place and why did he win so, so handily in the end? Well, really it all comes down to math. You know, it's simple math to be elected speaker. One member has to obtain the majority of, of 218 member votes, you know, it's a, or a majority of those present in voting in that contest after the new Congress begins January 3rd. So, you know, Kevin McCarthy has been the top elected Republican leader in the house for the past several years. He, he raised half a billion dollars over the last two years for this election cycle for all of his colleagues, uh, over $500 million. It's a staggering record that he said that I'm not sure anybody will ever be able to, 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 to meet. Um, he traveled around the country nonstop, literally every day we were not in session. He was on the road and, and one of our districts all over the country, um, just raising money and helping others get elected. So really he did, of all the members of Congress, he back the majority. It was not the majority that we all hoped and wanted and that the pollster said was going to happen for a lot of factors that you're going to have discussed. But um, he, he does get a lot of credit for recruiting those candidates and getting them over the line, the ones that did. So um, because of that, um, in November, he secured the votes back in November, right around Thanksgiving. We had our kind of our, our pre-speaker election inside the Republican conference, and he won nearly 90 percent of the of the votes there. And so he was the candidate for speaker. And, and um, a large percentage of the conference committed to vote for no one else. So here's the simple math. I mean, with only 222 Republicans in a race that requires 218 votes to win, there there's almost no margin for error. And the conference as a whole felt like they had to stick with with their choice because nobody else could get to that 218 threshold. So in the middle of all that, we had the holdouts, as they're now called, um, all of my closest friends in Congress, the Freedom Caucus guys, the conservatives. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, one of the most conservative members of Congress. And uh, we were holding out, they were holding out for uh, rules changes. Some of these I've been advocating for since I got to Congress in you know, 2017. Um, and at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, 
most of those rules were adopted. And it's some really, really important stuff. It's going to improve the institution, return it to the people. I mean, we, we're, uh, we're, we're going to have new budget controls, you know, uh, single subject and germaneness rules. So you'll no longer have these massive omnibus bills that nobody's read or knows what's in it, you know, 72 hour rule. What a concept. The, a, a bill has to be presented and it can't be voted on until 72 hours have elapsed to at least give everybody time to, to read it. But before it gets to that point, the new rules also restore the actual process of a bill becoming a law. So you get to um, uh, debate it in, in committee. What a concept. You get to debate it on the floor. You get to amend the bill. So all those things are going to be returned. At the end, it's going to be a very, very healthy thing for the institution. It's going to slow it down. But, Dan, you and I know that's a good thing. So um, in the end, it was worth it. It was it was um, it was worth all of the turmoil, and I think everybody now basically agrees with that. I must be honest with you. I was skeptical just simply because of all of the furor that we see happening on both sides. But I got to say oh, this: yeah. you got a great start with legislation already. But what what's your yeah. what's your sense of ongoing legislation passed in the GOP House that's got to receive consensus? across the hallway from the Senate to ever become law? Are you guys going to be able to get over those hurdles? Well, again, this 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 comes down to simple math, right? You, you and I know the reality of all this. Even though we did get this majority in the House, slim as it is, we don't have a majority in the Senate. Of course, the Democrats still hold that. And, and, and the, the greater hurdle, of course, is that you really need 60 votes in the Senate to advance um, substantive legislation. So we're nowhere near that threshold. And even if we did get our conservative agenda bills that we're passing in the House through the Senate, you know, President Biden's going to veto them. So th- there's a there's a couple of um, strategies that we are pursuing now for the next two years, and we've begun that in earnest. You saw in this this week that we just fit, completed here, the first week of the Congress, really, um, we came right out of the blocks with um, some really important legislation. The first bill, as we promised on the campaign trail, was to uh, repeal those the funding for those 87,000 IRS agents that were going to be deployed all over the country to go bully uh, hardworking families and small business owners. So we were, we're trying to take the money away from them. Um, the, the second set of bills was to set up these new select committees, one on the threat from the Chinese Communist Party, which is long overdue, and one on the weaponization of the federal government, which I intend to serve on. And those are really, really critical for all the reasons we know. And then the third bill, HCR, House Concurrent Resolution Number 3, is the bill that I wrote, and it was to condemn, uh, for Congress to condemn and call for the Justice Department to prosecute all of these radical vandals and uh, uh, people who, who you know, firebombed and threatened uh, care pregnancy centers and churches and, and, and pro-life uh, organizations in the wake of the Dobbs opinion. Um, so, uh, and then we, we also passed right after that the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. So if a, if a child survives a failed abortion attempt, they have to get the same medical treatment as any other uh, infant and newborn. Um, some some really common sense things that we came out of the blocks to, to put a flag in the ground and show what we're for. Do I believe uh, any of that is going to pass through the Senate? Boy, I wish it would. Probably not. Um, the select committees don't have to, it doesn't have anything to do with the Senate. But those other ones, you know, on the China Select Committee, for example, we got over 150 Democrats to vote with us uh, on my on my pro-life bill. We got three Democrats to switch sides. So uh, those are bipartisan bills, but I think they're dead in the Senate, but we're going to send a message, and we already have begun that, to fulfill our commitments to the American people and to show them the contrast, the stark contrast between the two parties and what our agenda is going to be, and it's going to set up a massive contest 
as you and I both know, for 2024, for the White House, control of the Senate and continue control of the House. So um, it's going to be a wild two years. Well, you're a prominent member of the House Judiciary Committee, and you guys have a big role that you play for everything doing with the law, the courts, even the Supreme Court. You got any of uh, Biden appointees left in the pipeline that are going to be brought in front of you? I don't, I haven't heard. Well, um, I, I think he still has some appointments to make. The Senate does all the confirmation hearings. What we do is it primarily is the oversight right. function, and that right. is what's going to be on steroids, of course, in the next two years. We're beginning in earnest, right? Before I came on the air with you, I was talking to Jim Jordan, and um, he's the, he'll be the chair of judiciary. I'll be the chair of the Constitution Subcommittee in Judiciary. And we both expect that, that we'll be working together closely on this select committee on the weaponization of government. So we, we are um, fine-tuning our uh, plans and priorities on all that. Of course, we've been talking about this for, for months, many months. Um, and But, you know, the, the challenge we have, honestly, Dan, is that with this administration, they are so corrupt. I mean, in every agency of the federal government is just hopelessly corrupted and, and politicized and weaponized. That's why we chose that word for our select committee. And um, there, there's so many things to go look into. The Congress really does have a, a duty or responsibility to perform oversight on that um, it's such a target rich environment. We've got, <laughs> we got to carefully uh, decide in what priority and how we roll this out because there's so much to do. Um, so that, that's what you're going to see here in the next couple of weeks is, um, is some, some hearings right out of the blocks. Uh, to illustrate and 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 lay bare for the American people, really how deep and how wide this corruption is, and then we're going to follow the truth where it leads. I haven't yet heard any um, southern border specific plans. I know you you've got some. We got to secure that border. We've got to. Can you share sure. anything you're going to do with us? Is there anything you can do without the Senate in that regard? Well, that that's something we absolutely have to forge. A consensus on we did one of the rules changes that uh, a commitment that was secured through the whole speaker's race saga was that we are guaranteed a vote on a border security plan um our colleagues and and our dear friends from the from texas uh have ideas already on paper i mean this is already they've been working on this for months um so uh we're we're going to advance that through the house i believe that will be bipartisan as well we'll get at least a few uh Democrat votes on that, I think, because the, particularly these Democrats that are down in the, the border districts on, in, you know, South Texas, for example, um, their own Democratic uh, mayors down there are crying out for a plan, you know. So um, we, we're going to pass it through the House, and I'm, I'm very hopeful. We all better pray that cooler heads will prevail in the Senate. This will not be a political matter, but rather a matter of national security, because border security is national security. And, and we could spend, you and I could spend hours this morning yeah. going through all the terrible effects of this open border and what it's done on the country. Everybody knows it. It's, it's a, you know, in the law, we say it's res ipsa loquitur. The thing speaks for itself. Um, but we've got to do something. It's way overdue with 5 million illegals and more on the way. We, we, this is not a sustainable um, crisis and catastrophe now. Everybody knows that. So hopefully we'll get quick, quick action. The thing quickly, the thing that that I just can't believe 600,000 criminal acts have been perpetrated against Texas residents alone in four mm. in those two years, four and five years ago. I mean, everything from first degree murder, uh, down to assault and battery. It's unbelievable that we just can't get our Washington DC lawmakers, uh, especially the white house. I know what it's all about. They want to get these people in here, get them legal, 
get them citizenry and get them the right to vote so they can perpetuate the Democrat Party. But the lawlessness is just getting worse and worse and worse. Nobody down there. I'm from southwest Te- uh, Southeast Texas. Nobody down mm-hmm. there goes out without a gun now. They're scared to death. Well, no, and it's spread far beyond Texas, of oh, course. Yeah. I mean, it's every community in America now. And and, yeah. and this is part of the reason we've had these soaring crime rates. Um, also, you know, let's not forget all these people are going to be on public assistance at some level or another. They already are. Um, you know, these, these so-called sanctuary cities in California and New York are, are regretting that they passed those municipal ordinances because now they're, they're crying out, crying, crying uncle. Um, it, it just is not, we, we cannot continue it. And of course, all who we're enriching in this whole process while we're destroying our own country, we're making the drug cartels in Mexico like little empires, you know, and, and they've made billions and billions of dollars on the trafficking of fentanyl and all these drugs and human trafficking and Everything else, as you and I both know, fentanyl poisoning is leading cause of death of Americans age 18 to 49. Yeah, I mean, all this is directly related to these intentional policies on the border. And that is why among the very first items of oversight that we're going to handle through judiciary and partially through the select committee is, uh, is, is Department of Homeland Security and Mayorkas. And I've been saying, you and I have talked about since <laughs> I, I, I called for his impeachment three months after the guy took office a year yeah, and a half ago. Yeah. Because they they engineered this. This is all intentional. There's yeah. no way to, to, to refute that. And he's got justice coming to him, and it's long overdue. Can we get the cartels in Mexico declared terrorist organizations? Uh, I hope so. They are. I mean, I have colleagues who have filed bills that they want to declare war on the cartel. Yeah. I mean, literally, they yeah. want to, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's coming to that point. I mean, they are effectively like small nation, you know, warring nation states now. I mean, they're so powerful. And um, and they are a, a tremendous threat to the U.S. and our, our citizens. So we have to treat them as such. Clearly terrorist organizations, if not uh, nations or, or, or entities with whom we're actually declaring war. I mean, that's that's where we are. It's a desperate, desperate situation. Well, I can't not mention what we have tagged here at TNN Live. We've tagged this the Biden docugate. How serious is this going to be for this president? Well, this is this is um, this is extremely serious, and it's not just the fact that, uh, of course, he's you know guilty of everything that they accused uh, President Trump of, but the timeline of this is 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 probably the greatest scandal because we know that. The, the dates really matter here. The Biden attorneys found these classified documents, the first set of at least three that we now know of, in a locked closet uh, at the Biden residence and or at his think tank, one of the two. We know on November 3rd, the National Archives retrieved the materials. I mean, 24 hours later, they had them. November 4th, archives officials refer the matter to the DOJ. And remember, the midterm election occurred on November 8th. So that is critically important. They had this information at least four or five days before the election, and they buried it. Why? Because at the same time, they were parading around their, their raid of Mar-a-Lago and how they went after Trump, and he was the greatest enemy of the state and all that for doing exactly the same thing. And so uh, it, it, it goes it, – it's more evidence. It's not just the sloppy or intentional mishandling of classified information. It is glaring evidence right here, wide open, 
of the weaponization of the Department of Justice. They're playing for one of the teams. They're, they are on the Democratic Party's team. They're the Biden administration's uh, Praetorian Guard. And, and that is a, a massive corruption on a massive scale of our entire judicial system, system of justice. And I, it cannot stand. We have to point this out and we have to pursue the remedies for it. And it's going to be an ugly process, but it's in the end, um, it's going to be necessary so that we can maintain the republic. I mean, they, the stakes could not be any higher. Well, we know you've got this new committee. And uh, I just got to ask you this. How, when, and who initiated the government process? Which, which administration was it that makes it okay for the government to weaponize itself against regular old American citizens? It's happening. It's been happening. But where did it start? Um, you know, it's. I, I, I believe it, it began uh, some of this under the Obama administration with mission creep and, uh, you know, with, with uh, justice officials um, delving into politics and blurring the lines between the two. Um, and then in the Biden administration, they just took off all the guardrails entirely. I mean, right. they're just not even – they're not even going to hide it. And it's like, Dan, it's almost every agency of the federal government is involved in some way. I mean, we, that's what I say. We have so much to investigate and uncover, and they've been holding us back for two years since Joe Biden took office because we didn't have the majority in the House or either part, either chamber. And in the House is where we would do all these investigations. We had no ability to call a hearing. We had no subpoena power. All of that belongs to the majority party. And so we couldn't even begin this until January of this year. But now the floodgates are about to open, and you're going to see. Now, now be prepared because, of course, the Democratic Party is going to – Go ballistic! All the you know mainstream media is going to perpetuate the narrative that this is political payback and political retribution for what they did to Trump, and the Republicans are just out to beat up Biden and all that. Look, the facts are going to speak for themselves. People are going to believe the narrative they want to believe, but we're going to put the truth out there. And anyone who is <clears throat> willing to fairly and objectively review this will will come to the inevitable conclusion that this is intentional. It's not negligence. It's intentional. They're, they have turned the agencies of the federal government against the people to do the bidding of one party, period, full stop. And that's what the evidence is going to show. The bureaucratic uh, uh, Washington, D.C., including, of course, the Democrat Party and the mainstream media, they just going to uh, become a big giant and they're operating under one cause and one cause only. I saw your interview with Jake Tapper on CNN and he tried to twist <laughs> you into a knot <laughs> he would he wouldn't leave it alone when he asked you that question uh about the secretary I mean I'm sorry the house speaker thing he just wanted you to come right out and tell you everything you guys did behind closed doors but it illustrates the media and the power that they have over the narrative of, of what comes to the american people do you think a majority of americans are just blind deaf and dumb and don't see the reality of what's going on and are just relying to CNN, MSNBC, and the like? You know, um, that, that's a that's a big question, and it's a multifaceted answer. But the summary is, I mean, there, there are studies on this. There's lots of theories. There's academic papers being written. But, I mean, p- p- part of the analysis is what we sort of know intuitively is that people now um, – the, the news is, is sort of segregated and, and consumers of, of news is, is segregated into different uh, demographics and political ideologies. And so people tend to watch one channel only and, and they 
they they get their their sort of perspective reinforced every day. I mean, if you watch MSNBC uh, all day long, you'll think that you live in you know that Donald Trump is Satan, and you know America is a terrible country, and you know we should apologize for it, and we should trade everything in for European style socialism. I mean, they just feed it to you twenty four seven over and over and over, and they 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 uh, they demonize you know Republican elected officials and all that. I'm I'm one of these Dan that believes that we need to go into those arenas as often as we are able and present the other side. That's why I'd like to tangle with Tapper. And I'll tell you what's interesting that that interview you're talking about got a lot of attention because I've known Jake Tapper for 20 years. When he was a cub reporter at ABC, his beat was federal litigation, and he used to cover the cases that I was litigating. I was a religious liberty defense lawyer, and I had a lot of high profile cases. So we would meet up, and we're the same age, and he would cover my cases, and so. We go back a long time, and I used to be on CNN and MSNBC often, you know, presenting the conservative side. But after Donald Trump got impeached the first time, and I was on the impeachment defense team, I I went on with Tapper, and we did a 20-minute uninterrupted interview on CNN. And he couldn't tangle me in a pretzel. I think it went the other way. And so after that interview, I I got disinvited. I was not allowed on either of those interviews for two years. (laughs) Two years. I've not been on. And so – after that interview with CNN, Jake called me after, and he goes, "Hey, that was fun. We need to we need to start doing this more often." I said, "Well, I, I thought you'd never ask. Let's do it." You know, surprise. So, look, I, I think surprise, surprise. I, I think we need to we need to have our conservatives uh, front facing on offense in each one of these arenas, so we can present the other side to people who might not otherwise hear it if they're just tuning into one channel or one outlet. You know. Yeah, Congressman, thank you so much for coming aboard. What do you see? Looking ahead, uh, maybe uh, do, look look ahead 35, 40 days. Do you think we're going to get a bunch of stuff initiated and get going, or is it all, all going to be roadblocks against you? Uh, it, it, that's, a, that's a question that remains to be seen. I can tell you that we, are, we have the pedal to the metal. Yeah. We're going to continue to crank out uh, thoughtful legislation that, that not only fulfills our commitments to America, but it is, reflects the will of the American people. We're going to dare the Senate uh, to keep it in the hopper or bury it or deny it, and then we're going to draw the contrast between the two parties. That's the best we can do. I, I, you know, I said at the, at the end of one of the interviews the other day, I said, you know, I'm often reminded of the, of the famous quote by John Quincy Adams, the hellhound of slavery, who kept bringing the bill over and over and over until he got it overturned. And he famously said, you know what? They asked him, they said, why do you keep doing this? It's like you're hitting your head on a wall. And he said, duty is ours, results are God's. You know, you all go. I can do is be. Is, is do my duty and be responsible and I have to let the chips fall where they may but I'm going to be faithful thank you for your service thanks for coming here every 30 days or so it's good to have you so you can give us an update of the reality of what's going on at least on the house side you be safe my best to Kelly and the kids we'll see you very soon thank you brother great talking real truth real news TNN the truth news network